Welcome to podcast number 169 of my favorite detective stories. Today's date is July the 12th, 2022, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Andrew Patterson. Andrew is an award-winning Australian writer who knows firsthand about corruption, power, crime, and sex. He was a detective sergeant working on pedophilia and vice cases, and later was a chief investigator with the NSW Independent Commission Against Corruption. Born in Sydney, he grew up in Europe, returning to Australia as an adult and commencing his career in law enforcement and other government agencies. Harry's World was his first book in 2015, and it won several awards internationally. In 2018, the sequel, Harry's Quest, hit the shelves. He has a number of short stories published in Switchblade magazine in the U.S., and he is currently working on further short stories. The next Harry novel, Harry's Grail, as well as several projects, are are out there in the world as well. Most importantly for me, I met him through a mutual friend, Frank Safiro, and Frank introduced me to Andrew's Crime Squad, a uh, closed Facebook group of law enforcement officers and investigators who have also written as well. And he currently has 310 members. This is going to be a fun interview. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Come sit by my campfire as we listen to crime fiction writers talking about their flawed fictional detectives. I will alternate weekly between award-winning and best-selling authors with debut authors who have overcome all the obstacles to get their first novel out into the world. This episode is brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, six-book series, and my upcoming Gwendolyn Strong, small-town cozy mystery series. To learn more, go to www.johnhoda.com, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com, and join my email list. Liberty City Nights, my Marsha O'Shea prequel novella, is available to my subscribers there for free. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Uh, well, good morning from down here, John, and uh, great to be here. Thank you very much. That's right. Down, it is tomorrow morning down there in uh, Sydney, Australia. And uh, here in Connecticut today, um, yesterday afternoon, as we'll joke about it, it's March the 9th, a, th- um, a Thursday, uh, no, a Wednesday afternoon. I'm getting confused. And uh, <laughs> it was just good to have you on the show. A uh, mutual friend of us, ours, connected us, Frank uh, Zafiro. And I just thought it would be wonderful to have you on the show and have you tell me about your uh, – your journey, which includes your days in uniform and uh, up to uh, your writing and what you've done with this Facebook group of yours. That is just amazing. So if you don't mind, I'll just sit back and uh, relax a little bit and let you take the podium here. Okay. Thanks very much. Uh, where to start? Um, well, I might start with the logical point, which is uh, my uh, law enforcement career. Um, not as uh, long as uh, uh, some people's, but um, nevertheless, uh, certainly very influential on my life. Uh, so um, I did uh, five years in, in uniform, uh, what we call general duties policing here. Um, although I wasn't in Sydney, I was in Perth, which is the other side of the country, in Western Australia. Uh, and then after my five years uh, in uniform, um, then I went into detectives and spent most of my time uh, doing child protection, uh, dealing with the pedophiles. Oh, um, boy. Now, and, and of course, there, there's the first pronunciation difference, I think, <laughs> between Australian English and American English. Mm. Um, you call them pedophiles, don't you? So, no, we're good. Uh, we're, we're good with that. Uh, and then I spent my last uh, 18 months before I resigned in uh, Vice Squad. It was uh, certainly a colourful uh, detective career. Definitely. Uh, as, uh, as, you, as yourself with your very long service in law enforcement, uh, you know, you see a lot of things. In life, you see a lot of society, which uh, you know, is an eye-opener, of course, because none of us are, are programmed beforehand for what uh, we have to deal with as law enforcement. Well, actually, my, my time in law enforcement was rather, rather brief. I was only about two and a half uh, years, and that was in uniform in a small, uh, almost rural uh, community. And then okay. uh, 
the prospect of more midnights, weekends, and holidays <laughs> for the young guy uh, said, no, nah, no, I think I'll get a regular day job. And in a short time period, I, 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 uh, I became an insurance adjuster and then uh, married my insurance adjusting skills with my policing skills and became an insurance fraud investigator. Right. So, yes. so then that, that, that carried me for a good 20 years. And then uh, I saw how much uh, my company was paying private investigators to do insurance fraud work. And I said, wait a minute, this is my salary <laughs> and this is how much you're paying them. Yes. So I uh, went and got my private investigator's license and for the last 25 years have been a private investigator. So, uh, but I will tell you this, Andrew, and you're going to agree with me 100%. The days that you spend in law enforcement, whether it's in uniform or as a detective, uh, live with you for years afterwards, and and they are they are it's buried deeply into your psyche. Yeah. And uh, I would I would I would I would like to talk to a uh, somebody that wore the uniform or was in some sort of investigative role that said that they could turn it off, and it never bothered them or affected them after that day. I'd like to talk to them and I'd like to ask them how they did that other, other than by consuming large amounts of alcohol. But uh, anyway. I, I, I don't think that would even uh, get rid of uh, <laughs> no. what you've seen. Um, no, look, I would agree 100% with you. Uh, you know, the, the things you have to see uh, and uh, the things you have to deal with, as I said, none of us programmed for that beforehand. No. Um, and clearly if, uh, yeah, if if a lot of that doesn't end up burned into your memory forever, um, then I think there's something potentially wrong with you as a human being. Um, you know, as as you know, you'd be able to relate to when you're actually having to deal with it at the time. I mean, compartmentalization is a wonderful psychological tool, um, so that you can actually get out there and do the job. Um, however, um, that you know, you can't compartmentalize permanently and fully. So. I, I still have vivid um, images of, of some of the things that I, I saw and had to deal with. Um, and you know, I've, I've been out of the police now for over 20 years. So Yeah. After 20, you still, you know, it's still, uh, some things still happen. It took me, uh, I think it took me about three years to turn off my probable cause radar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, for, for my listeners that don't understand what that means, it's that uh, a person in law enforcement has their head on a swivel constantly because, well, their safety depends on it. But they're also looking at the world with the idea of what that behavior they're seeing how, and how that translates into the possible elements of a crime or suspicion that a crime may be committed. Am I right? Did I just nail that right? Absolutely. Um, I think. We, we don't uh, we don't use the phrase probable cause down here, although I understand what it means. Okay, watching American crime and reading American crime, but um, it's yes, we have exactly the same. Mm -hmm. uh, you are constantly looking. Uh, I, I remember actually once um, walking into uh, I'd, I'd only just recently resigned and uh, walking into a bar, quick uh, cold beer, and um, some random guy at the bar uh, sort of started chatting, and then he said, uh, you know. He, you're a copper. And uh, I said, uh, no, actually, uh, used to be, but not now. And uh, I said, um, how do you know that? And he said, it, it, it's the eyes. It's the, it's the way you all look around. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's absolutely true. Yes, you are constantly looking. And I still do it now. You know, you, you scan your environment and, you know, looking for potential threats. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, can't, you can't get rid of that no, <laughs> either. No. And I think our, our friends that are uh, have military service, um, have that same sort of yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, sense. None of us really uh, do well with loud noises, <laughs> loud sudden noises. <laughs> no, uh, that's true. <laughs> no, we don't. Still, after all these years. So you had a chance to work in various roles um, in Australia, uh, in law enforcement. When is it that you then uh, got the writing bug or did you always have it? So how did that interweave or how was it with you in your life? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I always had it. I've always been a big reader. Okay. Uh, and I think, uh, and I think that's vital for anybody who wants to write. You, you have to read first a lot. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think, in terms of the writing, it was probably around 12, 15 years ago. I sort of started thinking about it and started playing around with it. Okay. 
This is after you retired though, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, um, well, from the police anyway, I, I, I still work now. Like you, I, I do investigation work. But okay. <laughs> most of mine is uh, workplace investigations. So, oh, okay. So, uh, I mean, sort of workplace bullying, sexual harassment, fraud in the workplace, those sort of things. So mm. that, that pays the bills. <laughs> no, I get that part too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the writing, uh, I, and I did a bit of study uh, around writing, um, and then I started messing around with it. And then the first uh, novel sort of happened in dribs and drabs. I was still working full-time. I, I work for myself now, so I obviously have the flexibility for hours, but back then I was still working full-time for an employer. Uh, now, Andrew, you get to work your 60 hours a week any way you want to. <laughs> That's true, but, but, the, but the pay rate is better. So <laughs> That's true. That's much Yes. Um, and, and as I always say to people, um, yeah, I wake up in the morning and, and hit my desk, uh, well, most mornings, um, and uh, I don't have uh, some uh, idiot of a manager telling me what to do. So, <laughs> No, I have the opposite uh, opinion. I look in the mirror and I say, oh, that, and I won't use the bad word, <laughs> that, that guy, you know, that boss, you know, oh, it's you. <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, um, but you said that you were crafting your first novel back when you were working full time. So how were you juggling that? And with the full-time job? Really, it was um, only being able to write on the weekend I, because even uh, I always found um, that, you know, you come home after a, after a long day at work and even though you've technically got time in the evening, um, the headspace is just not creative at all. That, that's how I find it anyway. And so <clears throat> um, I think the, the writing, I find now that the, the more regularly I write, that seems to generate the creative headspace in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, having to work full-time uh, in that sort of environment as I used to, it was really limited to the weekends. So hence the first novel took five years to complete. <laughs> mm. Well, <laughs> but, a labor um, of love, no doubt. Yeah, It was, it was. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I think uh, what led me to writing was um, and ending up in, in crime writing because I wasn't sure when I first thought about wanting to write, I wasn't sure what I wanted to write. Okay, but uh, you know you constantly get you know constantly get told to write what you know, and of course uh, I, I know crime, and so that's what I th- I started having a play with, and and then I really started enjoying it, um, and uh, apart from wanting to write a good what I hope is a good story and, and entertains people reading it, mm-hmm. uh, also wanting to um, put a whole lot of elements in there which you know, show it show what goes on out there, so hence my. I'm writing is is quite hardcore and gritty, as, as one reviewer said, not for the faint-hearted. Okay. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, that that's me wanting to say, well, this is actually what happens out there. Oh, yeah. And, and it's, you know, that's not everybody's cup of tea to read. I understand that. But it's uh, that that's certainly one of my big motivations for writing. Um, and, you know, also wanting to create characters that people uh, will enjoy, as flawed as they may be. Mm. Now, I have a question, but I'm not. I'm going to preface it with a statement uh, or another question. How's that? I'm going to. Okay. I'm going to have a questions <laughs> a statement question. Do you, Do you know the American author uh, jo- Joseph Wambaugh? Oh, look, a- absolutely. He was my first introduction to um, what I call copywriting crime, and we'll come back to uh, talking about that group I've got. But yep. uh, yeah, so when I was a young uniformed officer, I think what you you would term I think rookie. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, in Perth. Uh, yes, somebody introduced me to uh, Joseph Womble. Um So read the Choir Boys and then a couple of the others. And yeah, well, I was look, I was really, really impressed. It was just, it was, it was that sheer realism that came off the page. I mean, obviously, LA was a very different policing environment from Quiet Perth in Western Australia, but but even so, you know, just the realism of it um, really grabbed me. Yeah, so that was my introduction to that style of writing. And here's my statement now that. Here, and, and it's to follow up what you just said earlier about writing hardcore. It was that when you said that, it reminded me of my earliest readings of uh, Wamba. And that goes back to um, the Choir Boys and uh, the book before that, uh, The Blue Knight, and um, even the book before that, his first one. And of course, I'll, I'll call you at three o'clock in your morning, your time, and tell you what the name of the first one is. 
But, but, uh, is it Armstrong? I think it's not the new Centurions, is it? Yes. yes. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> so, no, you're right. The new Centurions. And uh, Kelvinsky was one of the hard-boiled cops, you know, the old school cop from that, that book. But anyway, I, I read uh, the new Centurions as a college student. And then I read uh, The Blue Knight when I was hired on the police department. And when I was working those midnight shifts, I had the choir boys on the, on the, uh, uh, on the seat next to me waiting for my next call. But the thing about Wamba was he got cop speak perfectly, or at least Los Angeles cop speak perfectly. And then he would nail you. I mean, like hit you with a, a blunt instrument with the kind of, unbelievably ghoulish situation that cops run across, either detectives or uniform, with what people could do to other people. Am am I right? Absolutely. And uh, I think that's what you're talking about a little bit with your situation about how it's an occupation. Yeah, it's a job. Get up in the morning or you get up in the afternoon to go go do your uh, swing shift. Uh, And the next thing you know, a couple hours later, you're faced with something that is an incomprehensible. So I think that's what you were talking about. So, uh, and then now I'm going to follow up with the question. Do you feel that um, you, in the beginning you were pulling your punches a little bit or did you just say, no, I'm going to make sure that uh, the world gets to see it through my eyes? Uh, no, I th- I'd made the decision straight out that I wanted to um, you know, write the hardcore style. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, in terms, you know, as, as, you know, as for any writer, the uh, the first draft is uh, is <laughs> often not not uh, not close to what comes out at the end by the time you're finishing all the layers of editing. Um, but in terms of the actual content, uh, no, I always wanted to to write. No, this this mm. is how it is out there, and and so hence, you know, and I always say to people when they're expressing interest in the books, I say, well, um, it is hardcore, it is explicit. You know, if you like reading that sort of stuff, that's fine. But um, if you don't like reading that, be warned. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah. You know, some people don't, and, and that's fine. You know, um, none of us can write for everybody. Yeah. So, not a um, not a cozy mystery with cupcakes and uh, par- paranormal <laughs> witches. No. No. As no. I, as I say to people, you, you won't find any uh, you know country uh, vicars uh, having afternoon tea um, with the private investigator uh, in my books. You know, if, if uh, I, I hear you. Any, if there are any vicars in there, they might be doing something um, rather unsavory. But uh, <laughs> uh, after all, you spent how many years doing uh, pedophile cases? Oh, exactly, I'll, just, right. I'll, just, I'll just zoom right on past that one. Go vroom right past that. Anyway, yeah. I have arrested a number of uh, people for cloth, so let me put it that way. In my latest novel, which hasn't come out yet, I, I uh, tell a semi-true story about that and how quickly my uh, – Chief of Police unarrested the gentleman that was wearing the collar. So, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. But, Look, and I think actually that that that's uh, that, that um, leads me to make want to make another another comment from what you just said. I, I think it's uh, and this ties back to what you were saying about you know if if you you know walk the streets and carry the badge, you you, you can tell it tell that realism. Um, but I think uh, that that's one of the other aspects I do like to put into the to the, whilst I write fiction. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so so like you, um, a lot of it is is based somewhere <laughs> on on you know real things. So mm-hmm. so the, the character is obviously fictional. Although you know you, you know I think we all design our characters uh, in bits and pieces from people we've met along the way in life. Oh God, one of the first uh, <laughs> one of the my first uh, mentors, a fellow by the name of Jack McFadden. Um, he was a, a detective sergeant working at the Philadelphia police department, uh, in the research and development unit. And he said to me, I was there as a, a college intern, an impressionable 20 year old. And, uh, he said to me, John, you know, through the windshield of your police car, you're going to see the, the world, you know, on floral in front of you or something to that effect that, you know, you know, what goes on is just, you know, you can't, you couldn't even capture that with a, a, t- a movie camera, you know, what really happens. And I think that's what you were saying. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and so I've certainly had readers uh, 
ask me about some of the scenes and say, you know, that seems a bit fantastic. And then uh, they look a bit dumbfounded when you say, well, actually, that's based on a, on a real incident. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of a cringe factor there at that point. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yes. So earlier, and we didn't gloss over it because I'm was i a, I'm a paid listener here. Um, you said that you wanted to learn more about writing craft, and that was uh, something that you said. It, can you remember what steps you took or what books you read or what, what courses you might have taken or what you did to try to beef up your uh, fiction writing skills? Um, yeah, I saw a variety of things along the way. Um, actually, as, as a slight aside to that, the genesis for the first novel um, was I was uh, studying a master's in ethics and one of the units was uh, criminology I was doing and one of the assignments for that was to, it was an interesting assignment and it actually is a very interesting writing exercise. So the uh, we were looking at crime fiction as part of that unit of study and the assignment was, uh, uh, gave a list of four uh, one-liners from Raymond Chandler. Wow. And your, your assignment was to pick one of those one-liners and use that as the opening line for a short story um, of uh, only 500 words, a couple of pages, very short. So, um, and I, I was a, a, a big fan of Chandler anyway. And uh, um, so it was a fascinating writing exercise, but actually that became eventually um, the first episode within the first novel. So uh, it's somewhat changed now, but uh, that, that was the basis of it. So that's where I sort of, uh, I think, started that. And then uh, I later did a master's in English. Uh, there was creative writing components in, in that, which were options, which I took. Uh, and I've done a number of workshops um, periodically along the way. I always like to do uh, two or three workshops a year um, because I think you always learn something. Right. You know, that, that there's value in that. But also it's, it's not just, you know, even if you don't learn much out of that particular workshop, um, I think it has a motivating effect um, and an encouraging effect uh, on, on, on the writing. As, uh, as obviously, you know, as, as you'd be able to relate to, writing can be a bit of a struggle at times. Oh, it's yeah. A very, it's a very solitary <laughs> endeavor. Absolutely. Um, so I think, uh, but I think, yeah, in terms of learning the craft, um, I mean, courses uh, or workshops uh, can be very useful. Um, for certain things, um, I've done some great ones. I've done some not so good ones, but but you always learn something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I think you look. I, I, I my my thoughts on this, and um, I'm, I'm no expert, but I've got a bit of uh, bit of skin in the game. Um, my 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 advice to anybody who's wanting to write is read, read, and read more because you know, I think that you learn best about the craft of writing from reading people who do it well. True. And it's interesting that uh, I am now reading as a writer. And I'm, I say, oh, there's the inciting incident. Oh, that's a good opening <laughs> hook. Okay, we're at the midpoint. Uh, come on, come on, let's get, let's get, this, let's get this pony you know, going. And uh, I say a few other things along the way. Oh, you know, that's – and then, then I become this reader again about uh, at 85% because now I'm on the train and it's going down the tracks and there is no brakes, you know? So, you know, what kind of, uh, what I read. And, uh, and then at the end I say, okay. And I look at it and I say, what did he or she do well? What could they have done better? You know, what did I like? What didn't I like? What could I learn from that? I say that all the time. I, I know that there are some writers I read and I don't feel like writing the next day because I feel like such an abject failure because I said, how could I ever possibly (laughs) write anything even close to that? But then I realize a day or two after that, I say, no, no, John, this is something you can aspire to. This is something that you can learn to do. You know, we were rookie patrolmen once. We were, you know, wet behind the ears. We showed up at crime scenes not having a clue what to do. Then we watched how veteran investigators did it, how the good investigators did it. And and then we learned how the not so good investigators did it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And same thing with writing. And uh, and I think when they uh, the good writers leave a little something, a little mark on you uh, and the bad ones, you realize rather quickly how you could fall into those same mistakes. So I, but I, don't know, I, I think that that's, that's a really valid point. And, 
Um, you know, I would certainly reflect too that I think once you are a writer and you are reading, and I read more now than I've ever read. Mm, me too. But uh, again, it's, it's a matter of squeezing it in. But uh, no, I, I'm, I'm much more disciplined on that front these days. But I think you also, of course, um, because I, uh, or at least in relation to my novels, um, I self-publish. So therefore, I also do a whole lot of the editing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you do start to read with a very critical eye, and uh, and you pick out the mistakes. Um, but uh, but also, I think you become much more sensitive to uh, what I would call the continuity errors mm-hmm. um, that crop up in some writers' work. Yeah, um, and and the stuff which is simply not plausible. And this brings me back to writing about uh, policing and, and crime, because uh, yes, there are a lot of very good crime writers out there who have never been anywhere near law enforcement. Uh, but I think it is incumbent on them still to do some reasonable research. Oh, absolutely. And it, re- it really, it, it really grates on me when you read a, a crime writer. Um, and I, I'm not going to mention any names because I, I have a personal policy of never mentioning right. Um, right. names, authors' names, if, if the comment's going to be negative. Um, but uh, positive, positive ones, I'll scream from the rooftops. But sure, <laughs> ne- negative ones, I, I, I keep names out of it. Um, but, uh, you know, there's uh, one I've certainly read in, in recent times, uh, tells a great story, but the, the depictions of the police involved, you just think, and this is set in an Australian setting, so it's policing, which I'm very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so unrealistic. I just, you know, I just don't want to read it. No. Um, and, and, you know, and then even things as basic as, um, and I've seen this, um, I think probably about three times in different writers, um, and the, the, the person pulls out the Smith and Wesson 38 and takes off the safety catch. And you think, no, <laughs> I carried, I carried one of them for years. Yes. Um, there is no safety catch, you know, and that, is that sort of stuff, which. Are, you, to, are you talking about the revolver, right? Yes. The revolver. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't, I didn't know um, if Smith and Wesson, Wesson made a 38 automatic. I didn't think they did, but I carried I the. Yeah, uh, I don't think so, but no, I, I carried the, the Smith and Wesson special 38 special. Um, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think yes. I think we 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 uh, we covered that in emails, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Um, so but, the, uh, the the line that you can steal from me is that you were a cop so long ago you carried a six shooter. <laughs> yes, that's that's what you can steal from me, Andrew. Yeah. So anyway, but you know, I I, I agree with you that um, I don't think they have to get it perfect because there's sometimes when we can dis uh, we can dis- suspend disbelief, mm-hmm. but I think some basic uh, police procedures, some basic uh, crime scene stuff, some basic ways cops interact with the public, how they interact amongst themselves. Uh, if you don't know it, you should ask. And there's plenty of us out there that you could, you know, even in your own neighborhood, you know. And I think that uh, um, crime fiction writers should take a moment to understand if they're going to talk about cops to know what the animal is, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I think it does just come down to some some basic solid research. And look, I mean, in this day and age, particularly with you know, the, the internet making everything so much more available, I mean, and, and you would have seen as well, there are um, former law enforcement officers who actually provide services specifically for authors, yes, <laughs> you know, who are writing fiction, absolutely, um, in order to, to help them out with um, you know police procedures and and all the rest of it. So, right, yeah, I, no. I don't think it's an excuse for really sloppy uh, writing like that. So, no, I, and sometimes I find that uh, in in some of the uh, flash fiction I've read, um, there are people that just have an axe to grind against uh, <laughs> you know the oh yes the boys and girls <laughs> in blue. And yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've come up against some of them on social media. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay, I know that you're an anarchist, but that's okay. You know, God loves you too. Uh, so, anyway, I say that out loud. But uh, so what's the name of your first book? We didn't, we didn't cover that. That's, that's fine. So the first one is Harry's World. Harry's World. Um, so uh, Harry is the, is the main man. So give me a little bit of uh, background on Harry. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and I, I always say to people, I, I'm not Harry. I, I quite often get asked that at uh, author talks. <laughs> uh, but uh, Harry uh, Harry Kenmare is a private investigator, um, a former detective sergeant um, who got uh, kicked out of the police force um, because he uh, belted um, a uh, what, what we call a rock spider, but uh, that's our police slang term for pedophiles. Okay. Um, he uh, belted uh, a pedophile who was in custody. Um, but his backstory is that he lost his little girl to pedophiles. 
Mm. So that's his backstory that the uh, the book opens with. Um, so uh, he's uh, a pretty uh, broken down man. Uh, yep, I would, got, I would uh, call him flawed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, he uh, he uh, drinks way too much. Um, he likes the uh, the ladies of the night um, and all the rest of it. So uh, and of course he's not uh, he's not a big stickler for doing things by the book either. Um, so yeah, he's very flawed, and uh, and I've certainly had a, a couple of quite negative reactions from people who um, clearly have a certain view on everything in life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but you know, I, I think in, in terms of, of developing characters, um, I, I like to read a flawed character. Me too. Uh, I find them yeah. far more interesting. And I think, look, I think most readers do. Um, but I think it also reflects on the fact that in reality in life, we've all got our flaws. Uh, no, nobody's perfect. Um, so I think it, it actually, um, to read about a character who's one of these goody-two-shoes perfect people, you think, no, I'm just not interested in reading that. Um, I'm certainly not interested in writing it, that's for sure. Uh, so, so that's Harry's uh, introduction to the world. Um, and then at the end of the first novel, which and I, I write the novels based in basically um, uh, into interwoven episodes. So each episode is effectively him dealing with uh, one scenario or one case in his own world, um, but there's the overarching themes that carry through. So at the end of the first novel, um, he gets, um, I won't do any spoilers, but he, he gets um, some information which uh, potentially uh, may lead him to um, revenge for his uh, abducted and murdered daughter. Oh, boy. So the second novel is Harry's Quest. <laughs> and, Makes sense. Uh, and Yes, and uh, I could have called it Harry's Hunt, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's 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 out looking for vengeance. Um, and the third novel, which is uh, a work in progress, um, but uh, it's titled Harry's Grail. Um, so again, um, he uh, uh, no spoilers, but um, yeah, he uh, continues his uh, quest for vengeance um, and uh, to deal with those who he needs to deal with. Um, so those are, those are the novels. Um, I've also written a number of. Uh, uh, short stories. So, um, not a well. I've written a range of short stories, but I've written a whole set of Harry short stories. Mm, makes sense. Episodes. Um, and I originally, uh, some of them have been published in um, magazines and anthologies uh, over in the US. But um, the the big difference that I, I tried with those was the novels I write in the third person, um, whereas the short stories I, I started off giving it a go in the first person. How did you? How did that feel? Felt great, actually. Now, I mean, I just just to explain that, I, I guess particularly for the listeners. So, the, the third person point of view, which the novels are written in, um, uh, is, and I, I will keep writing the novels in, in that style because it gives me the room then to switch points of view when I need to. Right. Um, so, uh, and look, I mean, you know, some some wonderful, wonderful authors uh, have written everything in first person. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Raymond Chandler. <laughs> you know, right. all of the Marlowe novels uh, are written in the first person um, and, and they're masterpieces in my view. But uh, for me, I, you know, every now and then um, you know, I want to get out of Harry's head and into mm-hmm. somebody else's um, for a particular reason in the right. story. So, so the third person works for that. But and it allows stories, you to do flashbacks and yes, other, absolutely. other yep. ways of uh, transporting yep. your readers through the, the plot. Um, but for the short stories, which of course are by definition, um, you know, a quick, quick mm-hmm. punch in the guts, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the first person, uh, I really enjoyed it the first time around because, you know, you, you are, you, you effectively then become your character talking under the page because it's, right. it's all from him. Um, you obviously have to come up with different tactics if you want to bring in any, any other perspectives, um, you know, mainly through dialogue, of course, but, um, yeah, the first person, yeah, it gives it much more closeness to the character, uh, more immediacy to it. Oh, and but yeah, for different forms. So, the, so for the short stories, I've kept the um, first person, um, and I've actually got some uh, uh, another. Uh, what is become, rapidly becoming a series of short stories from uh, for, for another character, but this one is actually still a serving detective sergeant. Cool. I've kept that first person as well. So nice. But that's uh, that's really sort of uh, looking at. Um, the old school versus the new school. <laughs> yeah, no, and and just to give you an idea of how I write, um, I had written 
business nonfiction, uh, trade journals, industry magazines, that type of thing. Never had a feeling about writing any fiction until I had this story pop into my head that I just couldn't get rid of. And one day, um, the whole solution came to me and I decided to, to write it, but I didn't have a clue as to how to write fiction. So I bought a book on how to write fiction and I was given this, uh, uh, uh menu of, well, first person present, you know, second person, yeah. <laughs> third person, third person close, third person omniscient. And I, 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 I settled on third person close, which allowed me to do flashbacks, other point of views, you know, shifting different characters. It gave me more flexibility. As a brand new writer, I needed that. Yep. So six books, I'm into, I'm into six books into my writing and writing third person close, you know, never thought anything different. One day I read a cozy in the first person present. And it just completely blew me away. Uh, I couldn't put that book down. I just kept going page after page after page. And I realized that, yes, I got engaged into that character so much quicker uh, because of the first person present. And everything, see, seeing everything through that uh, character's eyes just blew me away. Now, it required different muscles. Okay. I felt like I'd been working on weight training machines for, you know, six books. And now I had to work with free weights, you know, and, yeah. and there was nobody to spot me when the uh, bench press bar, you know, settled on my neck. <laughs> yes. That's a good analogy. Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, but I love it. Uh, and I, so I write short stories and like you do in first person present, but I'm also writing in a, in a cozy series now, first person present and loving it. It just gives me a, uh, a chance to flex my muscles in a different way. But of course my editor always will point out, um, sections of, uh, paragraphs in a row where I slip into third person close. <laughs> and, uh, yes. I was like, Oops, you have to be careful oops. about that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah. So what also we talked about a little bit uh, before you came on and what attracted me to talking with you in the first place is that you've put together a nice collection uh, that Frank introduced me to. And uh, you want to tell me about the collection? And I'll, I just kept it kind of vague so you can explain it from it. Tell me about its origin, how it got started, what you're doing and the whole nine yards, because I think it's a wonderful idea. Great. Um, so that's uh, what I call the, the Cops Writing Crime Project. Um, so the, the genesis of that, and uh, we're, we're uh, swinging back to Joseph Wombor again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the genesis of the project was uh, once I'd started my obviously writing career and my website that goes with it, which is my home in the world for writing. Um, I was interested, uh, obviously, having read Wombor um, and a couple of other uh, writers, um, crime writers who were ex-law enforcement. Uh, I was interested in just seeing, you know, doing a bit of research and, and collecting up uh, crime fiction writers. Uh, mm -hmm. It's only for crime fiction uh, who had worked in, in law enforcement in, in one of its various forms. Um, because I, I was convinced that obviously there's that level of realism which um, you don't really get anywhere else. I mean, you, as as we've said, you know, that. There are plenty of excellent crime writers out there who have not worked in law enforcement, but I think there is that that touch of realism, or what I call those those uh, brush strokes of daily police life, um, which those of us who have um, you know, been on uh, carried the badge, uh, worn the uniform, um, can bring to the writing. So I was interested in just seeing how many I could collect up, and I, I originally thought, you know, I'll, I'll probably end up with a couple of dozen around the place. <laughs> Little did I know. Okay, um, well, so, tell me about so, that. So the project now, um, I've got, uh, there's just over 300 uh, authors on, on the project page there, there who I refer to as the squad. Okay. Um, and I've got a whole lot of names still, which I've got to do background uh, research and, and make sure that it is crime fiction to add on to it. So at this stage, I'm expecting that the, the, the squad is going to round out at the moment at about 400. Um, and they're from all around the world. Um, 
obviously, as you would expect, by far the largest contingent um, are you guys from the United States. Um, and by the sheer weight of numbers, that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, you know, quite a few uh, uh, Brits in there. Okay. Um, there's a few Australians, a few Canadians, um, some New Zealanders, um, and then from other countries around the world as well. So I've, uh, um, there's a couple of um, French authors on there who I'm particularly keen on. Um, are you, are you familiar with a, uh, a bloke uh, by the name of uh, David Hodges out of the UK? Uh, doesn't ring a bell. Older gentleman. And, uh, he was on my podcast. Okay. And, um, and there's a way to reach him through, uh, Joffe, J-O-F-F-E books, uh, which is his publisher. And, uh, I'm sure, uh, he would love to join our group. Now I'm part of that group now too, right? You are indeed. Yes. Ding! <laughs> Ding! Yeah. That's great. No, so I, I want to mention him to you uh, because uh, he had a he he was a bicycle police officer driving okay. driving the uh, riding the villages of a of a country town um, in the beginning of his career, and then he got got up his I think uh, to a detective superintendent or uh, a superintendent. That's right, a superintendent. And he had other management roles, which he absolutely hated. He loved being, you know, the copper. He loved doing the work and not necessarily worrying about crossing T's and dotting I's. But uh, David Hodges out of uh, the UK. Uh, that's, his, no, that's good. I've made a note of that. No, he's, he's not on the list. I've just checked the, uh, the master list. So okay. I'll uh, look at adding him on as well. So. Yeah, he just came to mind. Good guy. And you can listen to a piece of his podcast with me. Uh, I'll do that. Because it came out. Yeah. Uh, a little older, uh, but uh, that's okay. Uh, a lot of gas in the tank still, and writing ferociously. So, okay. uh, you know, hey, that's actually, what you there's want. another member of the squad who I, I noticed when I was looking at your website, um, that, uh, and I want to go back and obviously listen to the podcast uh, that you did with him as Bruce Robert Coffin. Oh yes, that was um, just recent. Yes, yeah. that was, and yeah. uh, I've uh, I'd come across his work a little while back, and um, uh, we're sort of connected on. on yeah, he has some now, serious but, uh, writing chops. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoy his his, uh, his stuff. So, but now listen to the podcast, and the reason I say that is, and I'm tooting my own horn a little bit, is he wanted to be a writer, and life got in the way, and he became a cop. <laughs> <laughs> and then after all those years of being a cop, what what was the you know siren that called to him? You know, poor Ulysses couldn't you know couldn't stay away from the rocks. And uh, <laughs> he um, he crashed back into uh, writing again, but he had that love and he ne- never let it go. And now you can tell he's got the experience, plus he's got the drive, yeah. plus he's got the passion. So, yeah, definitely. Give him, give him yeah. a shout out. Tell him I said hello. <laughs> I will. Yeah, please. So, uh, so then with the squad, um, we've just uh, put together um, the first uh, anthology of short stories written by members of the squad. So right. uh, leading into that, I, I, once the squad started growing and growing and growing, and I read obviously more and more. Um, of oh, their stuff. Uh, not that I'm anywhere near <laughs> reading everybody in the list and I'll, I'll never get there, I don't think. Mm. I've certainly read um, a lot more than I had to start with. Uh, I, I then I also recently um, uh, been getting very much into the anthology format for writing and, and for reading, and I've had a number of stories published in anthologies and uh, anthology magazines over in the US. So then I thought um, I'd love to put together an anthology of stories, short stories from members of the squad. So I reached out on social media to those who I could contact, and um, anyway, cut a long story short, uh, we uh, we now have a, an anthology out there called uh, "To Serve, Protect, and Write." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got 15, 15 authors in there from, from the squad. All right. Um, so there's uh, nine of them from the United States, uh, four from the United Kingdom, um, one Canadian, and, and myself as, as the one Australian representative. So, But it's, it's been uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm actually very proud of this collection now. It's a, it was a slow project. Um, the pandemic, of course, didn't help because it's messed up so many you know, things for all of us in various – aspects of our lives. Um, but uh, it's out there now and, and certainly uh, I'm going to be doing more of these and it'll be a much more efficient process next time around. I can tell you because I've learned a lot of lessons from it. 
Now you have a, a fee splitting. Uh, there's a way to do that, I think, through Draft to Digital, I think, or one of the other outfits, because um, you're self-pub, right? So yep. there's a way to do that. So everybody gets their fair share. Um, you got that figured out, I hope. You do? Uh, yes. It's, it's sort of, um, it needs to turn a profit first. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, the, the, uh, the understanding with the authors was that um, you know, if it turns a profit, then obviously we will look at distributing that amongst the the authors once obviously but it's got to get to a profit point first uh, a number of costs involved in putting it together so but it, it look it, it's it's 15 stories um they're all very different um but uh you know i um, was very very pleased with um just you know that every story you can just tell it's written from the heart um and it's got that realism to it it's uh, um in, in all sorts of different ways but, and who acts as the editor uh, I, I was the editor for that. So, oh, okay. Um, and I, I took a fairly, um, I suppose, hands-off editing approach in terms of I, I said to um, everybody who I sent the project brief to originally, um, not not all of them came through with stories, but um, I'd said in the project brief that uh, I wasn't going to do content editing and that whatever story uh, they sent me um, had to be polished to what they regarded as, as as close to perfect as it was going to be, okay. um, and that they were happy to see published. So the only editing I did was uh, for errors and typos, and um, and then also standardizing was one of the challenges format. with the, yeah. with uh, all the format, but also the the language um, uh, and some of the language conventions because you're dealing with um, four different versions of English. Yes. <laughs> and oh my. We've we've all got our we've all got our little quirks. Yep. Um, so I, I made the decision that I would leave the spelling alone. So, um, but uh, so there are different. And I say this in my introduction mm-hmm. to, the, to the volume that, that you know, people may pick up that there are spelling inconsistencies, but that's because of the different versions of English being used. Um, but the, I did then go through and do a whole lot of work on making uh, the use of punctuation consistent. Mm. Because that uh, you know, there are certain rules around that. There are also uh, different styles of usage around the world. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as my reviewers more. are fond to point out with their one star reviews, <laughs> uh, don't you love them? <laughs> God loves them, yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I'm very happy with the final volume, so um, and uh, I'm, I'm about to box up a whole, uh, whole lot of copies and send them out to each of the authors. So, I, I had a limited print run done here, uh, just because I do. I'm old-fashioned. I like to have the original paper back in my hands. Mm. Um, so I had a very limited print run done, but uh, because I, I would expect that most of the sales will be um, either ebooks or print-on-demand. Mm-hmm. And print-on-demand is, is wonderful these days because it means that you've got that international reach straight away. Um, so that, uh, but yes, the uh, I promised each of the authors that they would get a parcel of the original paperbacks. Cool. From me, so. Cool. That is such good news. So just let me recap a little bit. Um, Uniform, detective, uh, investigator, consultant, uh, crime squad. Oh, three, three Harry stories are three Harry novels. Lots Uh, of first. The third one's a work in progress. Yes. Of course. It's, it's, it's it's already there. The vision is there. It's there. So three Harry novels. Uh, one to be finished, but uh, uh, a, a passel of first-person, present uh, short stories in the Harry world and elsewhere, and now uh, Crime Squad and an, an anthology and anthologies coming out of Crime Squad. So did I did I miss anything there, Andrew? Um, not uh, not uh, well. Um, I've got some other projects uh, in the wind as well. But <laughs> let's talk about um, it then. About it. Tell me. So, uh, well, actually, one of the uh, another anthology project which um, I've put out some feelers for, and I'm getting some interest, which is good. So I'll I'll, I'll move forward with it. Uh, but I have um, uh, a particular fondness for a European actress called Romy Schneider, mm. um, who uh, is mainly big in French cinema, but uh, and she died tragically in the 1980s. But um, I she and she did a lot of her films um, you know, around. Uh, crimes of passion and love triangles and, and all these sort of things. Am I getting the name wrong when I say Last Tango in Paris? 
Uh, no, she wasn't in that one. Okay. No. That, uh, so I'm trying to think who the female in that was. It was Marlon Brando, of course. But, right. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, was, was that a Nook MA? I think might have been in that one. Ah. I'll call yeah, you three in the morning. I can't remember, but it wasn't it wasn't Romy Schneider. So okay, um, she did she did a few Hollywood films, but not many. Okay, um, uh, what's new, Pussycat? Okay, um, she was in that. Uh, she did um, the film version of uh, The Trial with Orson Welles. Really? Yeah. So she's in that. So uh, anyway, the uh, I, I thought um, the idea was to put together an anthology of stories uh, using one of her film titles, the title of the story. And then having some connection somehow uh, to her, so um, so that that's a project which is going to get fired up in, in the next uh, couple of months. Cool. Um, obviously, uh, another anthology of the uh, cops writing crime. So um, I'm I'm hoping your good self will uh, will think about having oh. a, a story to join the gang. Well, oh, you did had you had me at hello, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Borrowing from Jerry Maguire, you had me at hello. Um, <laughs> I turned down a friend, Colin Conway, who's also, I think, in your list. Um, yes. I turned him down because I was um, intimidated to write in a short story. But he, I told him the next time I get an offer, I'm going to say yes. So you made the offer, and I'm going to say yes, and I'll do the damn best I can. And listen, if you tell me it's crap, Hey, it's okay, but I'm hoping that it's not, and I th- I think you'll uh, enjoy what I write as long as I understand what the rules are. So, <laughs> I'll look forward to that. Um, so yeah, so that's that's sort of the fiction um, side of things. I've got a couple of other novel or novella concepts floating around. I, at some stage, um, it's apart from crime fiction. Um, my other favorite genre is dystopias. Okay. Um, so at some stage, I'm, I am very keen to try my hand at writing a dystopian novel. That's a lot of world building. Yes. Uh, I, well, I guess depending on, on, on how out of this world you get it, um, uh, it, it could still be, I think, um, fairly close to this world and, and an excellent dystopian <laughs> effort. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you look at some of the, I think some of the excellent um, ones around 1984, of course, is a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of, of more recent times, um, I think uh, The Road by Cormac McCarthy was a stunning book. Um, it's probably one of the bleakest things I've ever read. Um, but I think, uh, and, and the film, I think, was pretty bleak as well. But, yeah, um, but, but, but hey. The novel. You know, it's, it's, you've been thinking about it. It's on your radar. You want to do it. Uh, I say go for it. I mean, because, yeah. you know. Uh, I'm not one to lead a life of regrets. And I'd hate to have you th- say to yourself 10 years from now, oh, I wish I would have done that dystopian novel, you know? So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, give it a shot. I mean, you know, you had to think about writing your first uh, crime novel, right? And there was some probably do I, don't I, whatever. And say, hey, you know, you know, so what? If you fall down, you get back up again. Ah, look, absolutely. And I think that's that's one thing about writing. Once you've got the first book done and out there, uh, you know, and, and whether you self-publish or whether you have a publishing contract or however you do it, uh, once you've got the book out there and, and you, can, you can actually physically pick it up and think, I wrote that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do this because, you know, as, as you no doubt encountered yourself, there are plenty of naysayers who will tell you that, oh, you can't do that. You know? Right. Uh, life's, life's full of them. Um uh, they tend to be the people who'll never do anything themselves. But that's right. Uh, <laughs> let me let me just um, give you a quick. Uh, uh, yeah, go on. Hold yeah. your thought for a second, because I want to. Yep. I want you to finish it. And I rarely interrupt. I rarely interrupt. But on my during my book launch for my first book, the one that my son said I didn't know how to write fiction on. Yeah, that <laughs> book um, that got launched. Uh, we had a uh, two foot by three foot sheet cake with the uh, cover done in glazed sugar across the top of it. So, you know, beautiful, right? I got to read a portion of the book to the 50 or 60 people that were there. And at some point during the book signing, I said to one person, I said, you know what Ernest Hemingway and I have in common? And the person said, what? And I said, 
our last names begin with H and I am, and we are published authors, you know, brilliant. So at that point I, I said to myself, you know what, I, uh, you know, and you know, the other thing I'll, I'll often, often say is there's a, there's a, there's so many authors you can't shake a stick at that they hit it big with book five or book four, you know, and, and they, but nobody knows about book one, you know, yes. and that's okay. So, um, the, that's the way I think about it is that, um, you know, uh, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like I do. And, uh, and I get up in the morning and I realize I'm a published author and yes, yeah. aside from the, uh, the people with the one stars, I get enough of the other kind of stars to keep me in the chair with my fanny in the chair and my hands on the keyboard. So, uh, but Absolutely. I interrupted you. I apologize. What were you going to say, Andrew? That is quite all right. Uh, no, I think once, once, once you've got the first book out there, I think that's, it's wonderfully self-affirming to think, no, actually I did do that. Yes. Um, and I, I find it much easier after that. Um, I mean, I've heard people say, oh, the second novel is the hardest. I didn't find that at all. No. Uh, the first novel was definitely the hardest uh, and everything else has got easier uh, since then. Um, I mean, you, you learn more about the craft, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think in terms of reflecting on it uh, yourself, you know, you, you, you then have that self-belief because you have done it. Uh, well, despite the naysayers, you've done it. Um, and in fact, you know, nothing gives them more satisfaction than to look at the naysayers and say, hey. <laughs> so you know. I'll, I'll agree with you 99%. And here's the 1% where I might disagree with you. It's that author that writes their debut novel and it becomes a blockbuster hit. And they're asked, well, is this a series? <laughs> <laughs> and they say, uh, 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 yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. And now they have to try to come up with the second book and they never had a plan for a second book. And it has to kind of the bar has been set, so it's like, oh, oh, heck, what do I do now? So anyway, yeah, I, look, that's why I, that, I give you that one percent caveat. No, no, and, and fair enough. And look, I mean, I, I've heard you know plenty of people say that they, that they reckon the second novel was the hardest. So clearly, for some people, um, that that is the case. Um, but you know, just from my own perspective, yeah, after that first one was done and finished and published, um, everything's been easy since then. I get it. No, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, it's like, okay, rinse and repeat now. Uh, and I love it. I mean, uh, the, the, pub, uh, the publishing part isn't as difficult now that I have a good cadre of uh, editors and proofreaders, yep. uh, copy editors, people that know what the hell they're doing. Uh, when I was sleeping, you know, in sixth grade English, um, they, went over, <laughs> they went over those things. And uh, unfortunately... I was going to be a professional ball player and had no, you know, need for, uh, you know, uh, subjects, predicates, and uh, objects, and all those other funny things. <laughs> uh, make a lewd comment about a dangling participle, but other than that, <laughs> and the split than, infinitives. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, but other than that, I, I know I know of once you speak, but then it's the marketing thing for us indies that. We, yes. could prob- we could probably do a whole episode on that alone. But the fact of the matter is we're both, you know, former law enforcement. We both uh, decided to write uh, uh, in a genre that we both loved. Um, you're taking a shot at a different one. I'm taking a, a shot at a slightly different one. Yeah, I'm still going after clues, you know. But other than that, uh, it's just interesting that you've made this jump You've done this, and you can look back on it and say, "I have no regrets. I did it." Right? Absolutely. I mean, the last thing you want to do is to die wondering. Yeah. Um, Coulda, shoulda, woulda. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, this is something I'm gonna. I'll, I'll keep writing till till the day I, uh, you know, disappear from the planet. So yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, it's something I, I love doing, and yeah. Uh, hopefully, I'm getting better at it, and mm-hmm. uh, at least I'm trying to. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's putting stuff out there and. Look, and that was one of the also satisfying things in terms of uh, putting together the anthology from the uh, the cops writing crime squad. That you know, it's it's you know, apart from the fact that I've got a story of my own in there, it's an opportunity to help you know, other um, authors from the squad to also have another story put out there. 
Yeah, but you must have been jazzed when you put the offer out there and you got this, these heavyweights to come in and put together stuff that you could never dream of doing yourself. And you were just amazed by where this all came from, how it came out of their heads and onto the page. I'm sure it, it, it did did that yeah too. look i mean it, it was it was it was fascinating reading all the stories as they came in because i said there was such a variety in there um but but they've all got something of that police realism to them absolutely and, and that's uh, the oh there's a french word for that and i never say it right zen quoi i mean i never say it right so, <laughs> je ne sais quoi. <laughs> that's it, that's it. I, I don't have to call you three o'clock in the morning to say that am i uh, did, did i say it i, spe- I, mean, I speak a little uh, speak a little bit of French, but um, okay. But know, that, a, a certain je ne sais quoi literally translates as a certain I don't know what. Okay, but uh, did I use it properly in context of what we were saying? In yeah, resp- absolutely. In response is, to what I mean, the cops' realism have, because it's only it, yeah. only they can have it because yeah. they were out there on the midnight shift. They closed the cops' bar at three o'clock in the morning. They, you know, had you know got their heads handed to them on the stand by a defense attorney. You know, and and I say they, I'm using it in the uh, plural sense, in non-gender specific, mm. but uh, definitely. And it's, and it, I don't know how to, I, I, you know, I couldn't explain it. That's why I used a French word. So <laughs> anyway, have well, I? Well, I think the realism cuts across as well, because I, I, so there's a couple of French authors uh, in, the, in the squad. Oh, okay. Uh, one, I've actually just finished reading one of his books, um, Olivier Norek. Um, who was uh, a police officer, a detective in Paris, in one of the very really rough areas of the Paris suburbs. Um, he's actually, I don't know whether you're familiar with the TV series, whether it's been over there called Spiral. No. no. So I, I heard of Lupin. Is that, or is that oh, British? Okay, yeah. <laughs> That's, yes. Uh, that one's been on here as well. But no, the spi- Spiral uh, is the title that's used uh, for the English-speaking world. But, um, that's set in Paris. Subtitles or... Not. Yes, oh, yes okay. subtitles, yeah. Um, but anyway, so he was one of the consultant writers on Spiral. Um, but his novels um, are great, and it's very much a French feel to them. But again, that realism of policing just shows through, and I think it also shows that you know, we're, you know, assuming we're talking about the, the liberal democracies in the world, um, because mm-hmm. obviously policing in other countries can have very different meaning from what we're used to. Sure. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think it shows that you know, across the liberal democracies, policing... Um, it has a lot of commonalities. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Oh, so this is the cop asking uh, the other cop, is there anything I haven't asked you yet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, look, um, oh, I'm, uh, <laughs> we could probably talk for the rest of the day, John. I um, know. But <laughs> no, but um, the, the dinner will be fed to the dog if I don't. Uh, oh, yes, that's right. Yes, you, you're coming up to dinner time over there. So. Yeah. The day before. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, I want to thank you for uh, coming on. I do appreciate it. How can people reach you, Andrew? And how can uh, uh, coppers uh, get on the crime squad? So both. Okay. Give me so, both. Um, easiest way, uh, my website, uh, which is my online home as the author, is www.abpatterson.com.au. Okay. So that's my online home. Um, I'm also on all of the social media uh, channels, so okay. uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, LinkedIn. Um, just, uh, so my author name is A.B. Patterson. Um, obviously on, on LinkedIn, which I also use for my normal professional work, is uh, listed under Andrew Patterson. Um, and if, yes, if there are uh, other crime fiction writers out there who have uh, – Worn the uniform, carried the badge, um, mm-hmm. and would like to be included in the squad. Uh, just drop me a line. Um, uh, obviously, uh, on there's an email link as well on my website, um, and I'm always happy to hear from people to add them to the squad. There you go. Uh, you know, I I started this podcast five years ago, uh, four years ago. Excuse me, I'm not going to make myself older. Uh, <laughs> four years ago, talking with uh, private investigators, former law enforcement kind of drifted into uh, uh, crime writers. But it, it's these days when I get to talk with uh, other uh, former law enforcement officials that, uh, and we talk about fiction and flawed detectives that I seem to be in, in most harmony. I guess that's yes. the, the way I feel. I'm in most harmony. So, and I do appreciate you 
thank you for coming on. I appreciate Frank introducing us. It won't be the last time we speak, I promise. And uh, when this comes out um, in the summer, uh, I'll be sending it out to you as well so that you can put it out on your socials. But uh, no, I really appreciate you coming on today. This was great. I had a great time. And I thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you, John. It's been wonderful chatting to you as well. And uh, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, I'm, again, yeah, I, I always love uh, chatting to uh, writers generally, but particularly, uh, you know, other ex-law enforcement writers who write crime fiction. There's obviously uh, a commonality there. We are, whilst the squad's got quite big in overall terms, we're a, we're a small number. Mm, that's <laughs> and, true. Uh, but yes, we, we share something which um, you know, okay. can't be taken away and uh, it's, it's great to talk about. So thank you very much indeed. It's been oh, wonderful. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope I've earned your interest and your time. Our guest next week is Sarah Stewart-Taylor. Sarah is the author of the Sweeney St. George series and the Maggie Darcy series. She grew up on Long Island and was educated at Middlebury College, Vermont, and Trinity College, Dublin, where she studied Irish literature. She has worked as a journalist and writing teacher and now lives with her family on a farm in Vermont where they raise sheep and grow blueberries. This episode was brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, six-book series, and my upcoming Gwendolyn Strong Small Town Cozy Mystery Series. To learn more, go to www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N. HODA.com and join my email list. Liberty City Nights, my Marsha O'Shea prequel novella, is available to my subscribers there for free.